Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. This podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only, and it shouldn't be taken as personal, financial, tax, or legal advice. And I just wanted to jump on and say the disclaimer myself today because it's a very different episode than what we usually do. I would also encourage you to read the disclaimer in the show notes of this episode, and please get your own advice from a licensed financial advisor. And if you want to check before you get advice with somebody, get their name and search ASIC Advisor Register. It's part of the Money Smart website. And of course, any advisors that we refer listeners to uh, have been advisors for some time and they've been vetted. This episode, it is not set at a beginner level. It's just something different that I'm trying with Vince. We get a little bit Joe Rogan and go for some time, but we just end up just chatting like two friends about investing. And I love investing. I love talking about shares. I will say though, if you do want to support the show, and you want to learn more about investing and you haven't done Glenn's Investing School, it is a course and there's a link in the show notes and you can actually watch all the videos and I'm there with my iPad and I draw the things. Like I'll spend 20 minutes talking about asset allocation. I'll spend 20 minutes talking about an indexes and how indexes are made and using the iPad and drawing the diagrams. Do we get it right? No. Do we get it wrong? probably, but hey, it's entertainment, right? That's all we're giving away right now. So I hope you enjoy it. I had so much fun with Vince. We've got so much more planned in these deep dive campfire sessions uh, because I really like just talking shop and yeah, I hope you enjoy it too. Strap on in kids. Bye. Hello, Australia. Welcome to My Millennial Money. I'm Glenn James, and I'm joined by Vince Scully. G'day, Vince. How are you? G'day, Glenn. It's great to be here. You're back, Vince. I'm back. Have you seen in the Facebook group, in the main header photo image, have you seen your little head? No, I haven't. Yeah. So, there you go, everyone. Jump in and have a look with Vince's heads in there, because Vince is a bit of a recurring guest on the podcast, and we like to get Vince... To answer all the hard questions. You haven't been drawing horns in my head, have you? A little bit, a little bit. So what we've decided to do is maybe just have more of these campfire chats. And we had a bit of a campfire chat around the Robin Hood thing and what happened with GameStop, of which I think we call it, we call it GameStop for the whole episode. <laughs> Accident. But uh, we want to talk today about ETFs. I put a thing up in the Facebook group uh, asking for your questions and we'll just, Vince and I will have a chat and we'll just probably go for as long as that we can be bothered. We'll read your questions. We'll talk about it. I might ask Vince some stuff that I'm thinking that I don't know the answer to. And yeah, you can check out the thread on Facebook. But given all that stuff that's been happening with Facebook, we're actually, we've been researching to try and find a new online home. I know a few of you took part in the uh, the trial that I did with Mighty Networks. I didn't love that, but... We certainly want to find something that we've got a little bit more control over because I think we're all getting sick of Facebook. 
and it'll, it'll just allow, and there might not be as many people, which is fine, but we just want it to be a dedicated space where you go and you don't have to scroll through, you know, crappy ads for Persian rugs and stuff like that. So, are you ready to have a quick chat about ETFs, Vince? Yep, well, I've got the marshmallows, we've got the fire going. And uh, here's the campfire chat. Because I want to talk about, you know, these investment apps that are going out there and, you know, the rays, the spaceships of the world and and basically what they invest in. And maybe that's a good way to start. So, we might talk about the word ETF just to explain, say, rays or spaceship. Uh, and we might use the word managed fund. And then we'll swing back around and go deep into what ETFs are because this is the episode that we want to talk about ETFs and share investing with ETFs. So, cool. cool. I mean, there's, these are all variations of collective investment vehicles. So, in fact, our European friends call these CIVs, collective investment vehicles, which really means that we pool our money and we give it to someone to invest it, and that allows us to get a wider exposure than we could with our own money. So, if you wanted to invest in the ASX 200 and you wanted to buy a parcel of each of them, you need a million and a half to buy starting with a minimum parcel of the smallest one. Yeah. And obviously not enough people have got a million and a half. So how do we do it together? Well, traditionally, the first place we would have started was a managed fund, which is usually a unit trust, and you applied to the manager and gave them a cheque and they gave you some units. And that all worked pretty well when this was all done by mail. But if you want to try and do that through your broker it becomes a little trickier. So the next evolution of that was the listed investment company mm. where companies like uh, AFIC or uh, Argo Argo been around for the best part of 100 years. And that's broadly the equivalent, but it's a company that goes and buys all the shares yeah. and you buy shares in the company. And the disadvantage of that was that sometimes this company trades at a different price than What's the value worth? of the assets. Mm. And that's called a discount or premium to assets or net tangible assets, which added complexity. So not only did you have to worry about what it was invested in, but you also had to worry about this pre- premium or discount. And so the next iteration of that was what's called an exchange traded fund, which is broadly the same as an unlisted fund, but mm. it's listed. So, And the advantage of that is by they can manage the supply and demand problem by creating or destroying units so that they should always trade very close to the value of the underlying assets. I think it's important to understand uh, what an index is uh, before we start talking about ETFs. And I wanted to say, like, thanks to everyone who attended uh, Glenn's investing school. Uh, We did that last year. Uh, there's a link in the show notes. If you want to take maybe three hours, because there's probably three hours worth of videos, I've turned all that into a mini online course and I think it's like $88. And if you've already done the Glenn James spending plan, log into that and the la- I've added a, an extra module and you can actually use the promo code inside the Glenn James spending plan to get Glenn's investing school for I think $66. So, you need time to understand this and the Glenn's Investing School, I spend a lot of time, you know, drawing on the 
iPad and diagrams and all this stuff to really understand. And, you know, I might talk about an index for 15 minutes and we're not going to talk about an index for 15 minutes now. But how I described it index, Vince, is you mentioned before the ASX 200. And there's 200 companies, the, the top 200 companies in Australia, and they're on the, the index is weighted. So that means if there's a company that's double the size of another one, it's going to have a bigger weighting than the other one. I've probably butchered that. Yeah, no, that's good. The, an index is sim- simply a way of answering the question, how did the market go today? So, you know, since the Greeks, when Plato came home to his wife, they would have said, well, how was it in the market today, dear? And how do you answer that? Well, if you're selling one thing, like oil, it's pretty easy. You go, mm. well, did the price go up or down? Mm. But when it comes to shares, there's thousands of different shares. So how do you answer the question, how did the market go today? You could simply look at, well, did more go up than go down, which used to be called the advances versus declines, or you could look at the screen and squint a bit and does it look mostly red or mostly green? Or you look at a thing called an index, and most indexes are just a basket of shares. In the case of the ASX 200, it's the broadly the 200 biggest, and you put them in a basket in proportion to their total value, and so that when BHP goes up, it has a bigger impact than... JB Hi-Fi. JB Hi-Fi going up. So, yeah, that's, that's a good example. So the ASX 200 index, I think CBA Bank is like 3% of the top 200 companies. So if you purchased one share in an ASX index investment fund for, and I'll make a number up, $1, 3, 3.5 is invested in CBA. So, so it's weighted to yeah. the size of the company. Yeah. There are lots of other indexes. The, the oldest index, the Dow Jones, is simply a basket of originally 23. It's 30. I think it's 30. Yeah. And they're really just being picked to represent the market as a whole. But they're just a spread of big companies. Across any exchange in America. It's not just the New York Stock Exchange or the NASDAQ. I think that's true now. Yeah. Originally, when it came out, it was the New York Stock Exchange. Yeah, right. But they're all big ones. So they're companies like IBM, mm. AT&T, when yeah. they started. And that was really just to pick a representative sample and to give you an idea of, well, did the market go up today or not? It doesn't track all companies and it doesn't necessarily capture the biggest companies. It's simply saying, what? give me you know, one from resources, one from industrials, one from consumer. Yeah, it's because I think, Vince, it's important for those who might be new to this share thing and um, ETFs, you know, it's the old rule that I don't want 100% of my money in one stock like CBA because CBA could have a really bad day and go under and I don't want, you know, it kind of cascades down. Well, I'll just buy ANZ shares as well, but I don't want 50% of my money in CBA and 50% in ANZ because I'm still in the banking sector. So it's important that diversification is in place. So if we have a crap run on the banks one day, maybe – Woolworths did better that day. So your portfolio balances out. Yeah. And we're now moving on from the original concept of an index, which was simply to say- A barometer. A barometer, a thermometer, a barometer, a a measurement of what happened to the market today. That then became used as a benchmark for fund managers 
to benchmark their performance. So they were saying, well, did I do better or worse than the market as a whole? And in most cases, the answer was no. And then it became, so, well, actually, if we're measuring our performance against this thing, why don't we just buy it? Mm. And that's what led to the development of the indexed fund, which instead of having a smart Gordon Gecko picking shares, trying to outsmart the market as a whole, why don't we just buy the market? Mm. And so indexes became a stock picking tool. And the great advantage of indexes is they're run by computers, so they're cheap. Mm. So the computer will automatically do the allocation that, oh, CBA is worth 3.5% of the index fund today. Uh, Next month when we do the rebalance, we just check what the weightings are. So if CBA increased to 4% of the index, well, we're going to sell down a portion of that share and reallocate and spread across. Yeah. So when the index provider rebalances their index, usually every quarter, they'll go, well, the top 200 companies, uh, these companies are going to take these bottom three out and put three new ones in, and maybe one company's merged with another, so we've got to add someone else in. And that happens every, usually every quarter. And then the fund manager or the computer then goes and buys and sells accordingly. Yeah. And each day then it just moves in proportion. So some of the popular ETFs are basically indexed tracking ETFs. So the vast bulk of ETFs are index funds. And so that's probably worth just Mm. putting a bit of colour around that. So I said you could, because fund managers were benchmarking themselves, they started to say, well, actually, why don't we just buy the index? And um, Vanguard... Well, Jack Bogle was one of the guys largely responsible for popularising it. He didn't invent the first one, mm. but he was responsible for popularising it. So you, when they started, most index funds were unlisted funds. Mm. And then in the 90s, actually maybe later, in the 2000s, someone hit upon the idea, well, actually, why don't we put these on the stock market and we can, if there's too many people wanting to buy them, which would otherwise push the price up, we'll print some more units, which effectively is take some cash and buy some more shares. And so we can solve that discount premium problem. So most ETFs are index funds, but not all index funds are ETFs. And there are some active ETFs. Which probably leads to an active fund is somebody who says, no, I think CBA is better than having 3.5% allocation. Yep. Uh, we're going to put 10% allocation. That's right. So And actively so an trade act, the so shares. An active fund is someone who takes a position that is different to the market as a whole mm. with a view to delivering a different outcome. Now, that outcome may be higher or lower, but the key point is that it's going to be different. And that may be a good thing because if you're invested in the index, the Australian Stock Exchange, for example, you are by definition investing a truckload of your money in banks. So there may be a reason why you would want to invest in a mining fund as well. Mm. So moving on to these type of micro investment platforms, and you know, everyone's, you know, you put a comment in the Facebook group and all of you people out there add your freaking link to get a free $5, (laughs) just chill out a bit. Isn't it 10? Whatever it is. (laughs) I'm, you know, we talked about this Robin Hood thing in the States. And I think we all agree that the micro investing, the spaceships of the world, the rays of the world, 
ComSec Pockets were point, and I'll tell you why I don't love ComSec Pocket. Uh, can you guess why I don't love ComSec Pocket? Because it begins with com? No, it's not that. It's yellow and black? No, not that. I, the funds, you can't get a diversified fund. You've got to build your own portfolio. Mm-hmm. And because it's just a half a dozen. It's, yeah, that's but, but right. that does take us on to the point about what these micro investors are. And they're actually all very different beasts. Oh, absolutely. I mean So you can't really put them You can't in compare one, them. You can't put them all in the one Because bucket. Comsec Pocket, it's basically just a trim down broker yeah, that it, links to their main brokerage in the background. Yeah. So it is a brokerage account with a cool app. With, with a cool app and the ability to buy fractions of a share. Yeah. Because you can't, like, I, I was looking for ages on the, the ComSec website. There's actually no PDS for ComSec Pocket that I can see. No, because it's, it's a broker. It's, it's a stock product. Yeah, exactly. And all they're it's doing. Not a product. That's right. All they're doing is saying, look, we're going to give you some discount brokerage on these half a dozen or thereabouts. Yeah, six to eight ETFs. I think. Yeah. And we will allow you to buy fractions of them. Yeah. And so it's really an entree to stockbroking. Mm. So it's stockbroking with training wheels. But I think, yeah, we can all agree that the rays and the spaceship of the world, it is good to get started because it's low cost, low friction, easy to understand. And there's one thing all of these things do really well because of the app, and that is teach you about yourself and investing. Mm. So by having this thing on your app every day and seeing the price go up and down, what it's teaching you about how you behave and how you feel is worth the price of admission alone. Yeah, totally. So if you go, if the price goes up and you think, I'm an investing legend, mm. um, that's a good lesson to learn. Or if the price goes down and you're ready to slit your wrists, then mm. that's a good lesson to learn. Yeah. And the fact that it's every day means that you're getting this feedback every day. Yeah, and you're learning to manage that risk and go to bed and with those, it. those feelings. Yeah. yeah. Like that whole Robin Hood debacle, I mean, using these apps, you're actually going into a product. You are. And I don't like, quote unquote, investing into a product. Yeah. I mean, sometimes you have to. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. but it is. It, that's but a in good terms point. of my direct ownership. So if we move on from Comsec Pockets mm. as baby stockbroker, and you look at Spaceship, Spaceship is a managed fund. Yep. And it's a traditional managed fund where the manager picks shares, and. It just happens to have a fancy app on the front of it. But mm. still, underneath, it's a unit trust. It's an unlisted unit trust, which has looks exactly the same as any of the 5,000 other managed funds. But it has a fancy app in the front of it. Mm. And the minimum you can get in for is a couple of dollars. So the so that brings with it a whole bunch of you know, traditional compliancy issues that don't go away because you put a fancy app in front of it. Or charge no fees. Or charge no fees. Because this is interesting. Like this whole Robin Hood thing, like nothing's free. Like the podcast isn't free to listen to, but I make money from ads. So it's like this whole, like nothing's free. So with the Robin Hood thing in America, it was kind of their equivalent of Rays or Spaceship or whatever, or Stake. Um, well, they, it was the stockbroker, effectively. Yeah, basically. Just giving you free brokerage. They, they said, we'll give you free brokerage. But by using their app, the access to the shares and the companies that you got through uh, Citadel Securities 
Citadel was charging more and making a spread. So the hypothesis is we'll just get a brokerage account and buy direct and we'll probably get a cheaper purchase price and pay a bit of brokerage. And you know what you're paying for. Yeah. So getting back to Spaceship, um, I mean, when they came out, they had a bit of a run-in with the- With the law. With the law for- For the law and the law won. In that case, the law did win um, for embellishing the ads. So- well, because basically the black and white of it was we are spaceship and we're investing in the future. We actively pick these stocks and that stocks. And they were like, well, no, 60% of, and don't quote me, I'm being dramatic, you know, a fair chunk of your investments are on index funds. So you can't go out saying you're actively picking the stocks of the future. So, I mean, I've seen lots of comments in the group about, oh, well, that doesn't seem much an offence. But I would say, well, if AMP were, or any of the other traditional fund managers, mm we're done for the same thing, would you have so much sympathy? So why why does putting a fancy app in front of it give you an excuse to break the law? Because it looks cool, Vince. And that's something you should think about. So that's Spaceship. Um, so it's a managed fund. They have a number of different portfolios, one of which is the one that's been... Yeah, but, but this is where I want to go. It's like everyone's like, oh, you Spaceship. Oh, I've got, you know, 28% in the last 12 months. Don't make your decisions on long-term assets based on the last 12 months. That's right. Because the, that spaceship portfolio is a highly concentrated portfolio. It may have 80 stocks in it, but they all share broadly the same characteristics. So when it's up, it's hot. Yeah. When it's down, it will be very cold. Yeah. And when you look at the recovery, in the, particularly in the US since March, almost all of the gains comes from five companies mm. being um, – Tesla, Tesla, Amazon, Am- Amazon, Apple, Fangs, yeah, and they're thirty four percent of the Nasdaq. Yeah, a, a rising a, a rising tide, all the boats float. It just means they've got a lot of boats in that yeah. section of ocean. <laughs> so, I mean, it, a gain is a gain in terms of your ability to spend it, but it could disappear just as quickly. And because you chose to invest in Spaceship nine months ago, doesn't make you the next Warren Buffett. It did well. Do we have any idea that it's going to do better in the next six months or a year or 10 years? We have no idea. But what we do know is that it is a riskier fund than buying the S&P 500 or the NASDAQ or the ASX 200. And so you should be rewarded for taking the risk. And this has been an extraordinary year. I mean, I don't take anything away from um, those particular stocks, but... um, you know, as I said, one of the lessons is about learning about yourself. The other thing is to learn about why this investment is up 90% or whatever it is in a year mm. and what that means for you going forward. So that's that's Spaceship. It's a managed fund. They have a few different portfolios, but they are all actively managed. And, and I like it might sound like we're being critical of these apps, but- well, We are. Yeah, we are, but I guess what I want to say, Vince, is it's a good starting point and once you start to understand investing, you know, people will say, oh, I've got $10,000 to invest, right? If you were a spaceship user and you really started to understand investing in the world and I want to buy assets for the long term, the more you understand and the more you learn, you want to set up stuff for the long term. Oh, absolutely. And and as, as I said earlier, they do one thing really well and mm. that is – 
get you started. So you can get started with five bucks yeah. or ten bucks or whatever it is. See, uh, yeah, and you learn along the way. That's that's what you should be taking out of this. See, I love the roundup feature with Raise. Yeah, like I, I think Raise is a better platform because of that feature and the uh, awards thing. So, f- so to my mind, my pick is Raise, not because it's a better fund or a cheaper fund because it's not. But when you take into account the roundups and the, the awards. Yeah, the be- benefits program. Yeah. I mean, I have made so much money on. Do you use Raise, do you? I do, but I do it for the benefits. Yeah. So you go to booking.com and you book your holiday, you get 3% in your fund. Mm. You go away for a couple of weekends a year. Not that we're doing that anymore. Yeah. But that mounts up. And. For two dollars fifty a month as a loyalty plan, that's worth every cent. Yeah, and I mean when we when we did the episode, I did a review of the Ray Spaceship Comsec and Vanguard Personal Investor with Kylie from Finder. Uh, I I think I rated Ray's as my number one pick. I then rated um, Vanguard Personal Investor as my number two pick, uh, and then Spaceship, then Comsec Pocket. Because as a as a new investor, Vince. I I like the uh, choice of just buying one diversified portfolio and throwing money into yep. it. and that's where you should be starting. So like, I don't so like do- this uh, Comsec pocket thing where uh, this is the Australian share fund, this is the international share fund, this is the Enviro fund, and this is the you know whatever fund, the tech fund, or the. I'm just like no, I think. You don't want to start your investing journey with becoming a portfolio manager and mm-hmm. worrying about asset allocation. Yeah, and that's where people like Raise and Stockspot come in, or Six Park, or Open Invest. Mm. And there's a heap of these. They're effectively giving you a pre-packaged portfolio that you can. It does what's in the box. Pay into it, yeah. and you're buying whatever risk profile you want to buy. Yeah, and by being in there, you see how they perform differently, so you can see which bits are up and which bits are down. You can learn about how they behave, you can learn about how you behave. And then when you get to 10 or 20 grand, then it's time to yeah, get a real portfolio with a real advisor. Yeah. Or at least really understand to say, look, I know the differences between this app, which is a product, and going direct to the market myself with, you know, your self-wealth, your e-trade, your, you know, name your broker. So, so just coming back to that, so we, we talked about Spaceship as being a managed fund mm. and then you look at the um, sort of raise stock spots, open invest. They're all effectively managed accounts where they're buying mostly ETFs or funds on your behalf and you can buy fractions of a unit and you're buying a particular portfolio. Mm. So in the case of raise, they've got about, Six raising, ranging from very conservative to aggressive. You can even have some crypto thrown in. Giddy up, baby. <laughs> I might have used the word crypto. No, it's banned. The C word. C word. Um, I know another C word. <laughs> Coke, no sugar. That's Honey right. <laughs> yeah. um, and so you can choose where you go and under- learn how they behave differently. And we're looking at the results of all of them, even if you pick one, if you look at how each of the six of them are behaving, you can get a, a bit of a feel. So it's a great educational exercise. Yeah, it's so cheap. It's easy. Yeah, here's the thing: like, if if you're new to this investing thing, or you want to be an investor for at least the next five years, 
you're really not going one of the pre-made conservative portfolios. You've, you really want to be looking at over 70% or around 70% growth, right? I mean, that's really about learning how you behave as it moves up and down. Yeah. And you're not going to get that lesson from the really conservative portfolio. Yeah. And frankly, you know, if you're starting off with, you know, 50 bucks a month and some awards and some roundups, in order to get something meaningful, you probably have to crank the risk up a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Any other type of, you know, we're just getting started with this um, episode now, but any other kind of housekeeping before we get into these questions? Um, well, they're the main ones. And then we can look at, we, we talked about ETFs and just want to get this index versus active thing. Mm. Um, and people often talk about indexes as being passive investments, which I think came as a bit of a derogatory comment from traditional fund managers when indexes mm. came out trying to defend their turf. But there's nothing passive about picking an index. Um, so when you choose to invest in Vanguard VAS, the Vanguard Australian Share Fund, that is a decision to invest in the ASX 300. Oh, 300, sorry. Which is 20-something percent financial services. Australia's a big bank. <laughs> it is. A big bank and a big... Built on top of an iron ore pit. That's right. So... It's not a passive decision. By by choosing the index that you invest in, you are making an active decision and you need to be conscious of what that decision is. Yeah. I, I just think it goes back to me. It's like you see all these Facebook groups like, should I buy uh, VAS or um, the beta shares ETF or this and that? Well, that's like going into a bottle store and asking the guy behind the counter, should I buy bottles or cans? Yeah. Well, without working out what you're going to drink in the first place. Yeah, and and it's just like, I, I don't know, like, so my investment bonds, like, forget the structure, I've just got Vanguard Diversified High Growth Fund because I, I don't want to have to rebalance it myself. I know there's some science with Vanguard saying that, you know, there's 50% international equities, there's 30% Australian equities and some all the other rats and mice scattered to get it up to the 90% or whatever it is. I just want to be an investor done. Like I'm not worried about, oh, I can get two basis points cheaper over here, which is 0.2 of a percent. 0.02. 0 0.02 of a percent. Like nothing. Yeah, like it, it's just, I don't know. I, I just think you need to focus more about your strategy to earn more money to pump into a good investment yeah. than yeah. trying to split hairs on basis points. That's right. You've got to start with... Asset allocation first. Yep. So what's my goal? What's my time frame? And that tells me what asset allocation. Asset allocation is how much have I got in shares versus bonds versus crypto versus whatever. And within my shares, how much is in Australia? How much is in the mm. US? How much is in Thailand? How much is in big companies? How much is in small companies? Mm. How much is in mining versus? And all of those decisions will drive your risk and return. So your goal is not to outperform the market or a market, your goal is to maximise your returns for the amount of risk you're prepared to take. Mm. And asset allocation does that for you. Now, once you've got to asset allocation, you've decided, I want to invest in Australian big companies and I'm putting 20% in, say. Mm. Now, how do I choose which Australian big companies to invest in? Well, the answer is, well, what indexes measure the Australian big companies? And largely that is 
the ASX 200, ASX 300, ASX 20, ASX 50, and a handful of more obscure ones like the Van Eyck mm. um, equal weighted index. And so you choose an index and then choose a fund. Mm. So if you come to the conclusion, I want ASX 200, well, there's three or four options, A200, STW, IOZ. That's about it. So pick one of those. Now you can pick it based on on price. Yeah. But until that point, price is irrelevant. And that's why I think we need to become investors, not portfolio managers. And I don't I don't know how to weight a portfolio. What do I know? I'm an idiot. <laughs> You're a finfluencer. I'm a I'm a something. But you know what I mean? Like I think and this is why I love the diversified funds, because why would you want to just buy all Australian shares? Exactly. Because the world is bigger than Australia. So I want a big slice of the big world. And that's counterbalanced by actually you're earning in Australian dollars. Mm. You're going to spend it in Australian dollars. There's Australian tax and currency to worry about. So you probably want more than the 2 or 3% of the world that Australian represents. Mm. But you certainly don't want 100% Australian. Yeah. And... Yeah, there's a lot of research went into creating those Vanguard or their BlackRock equivalent diversified funds. So as a starting point, if you're investing 10 grand, that's probably a great start. Yeah, definitely. Once you get a bit more, you can now afford to and benefit from paying a bit of, bit for advice. So I, I think, yeah, if you are serious about, um, you know, really pumping your investment portfolio and you... You know, you might even have some money in one of those apps, in Rays or Spaceship. Um, I, I wouldn't be too concerned about, oh, is it a bad time to sell and, you know, reinvest because you're buying and selling into the same market. You might have a small tax consequence, but I think it would be superficial given, um, you know, if you are looking at moving from one of those starter apps to a uh, the real world, uh, I think the tax consequences would be quite small. Yeah. I mean, I use Rays largely as a a holiday money bucket that mm. gets all my roundups, it gets um, all these awards. But you have it, the view if it, there's a bit of fluctuation or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. I go, am I going on holidays this weekend? I'm going to sell some. Um, yeah. Like it's, it really is just a- It's not the lion's share of your wealth. Bucket, no. Yeah. Um, but it, it is fun. Yeah. Um, and they're good operators. Um, and this is the thing like with these platforms and apps, they do the consolidated tax reporting for you. Yep. And that alone is sort of worth the price of admission for some people mm. well, in general. And it gets more complicated if you're, you know, dividend reinvesting and, um, yeah, you end up with heaps and heaps of parcels and you holding it for a long time. Mm. Um, I mean, the number of times in our practice where I've had to go and try and reconstruct someone's cost base, there's hours or days of work trying oh, to do it. It's wild. It's wild. So... That admin servers um, is worth its weight in gold. Mm. Let's have a really quick okay. break and we'll come back Let's and fire just up the smash these questions. And do give us feedback. If you're, if you're liking these casual type of campfire chats um, that I'm having with Vince, we're just kind of chewing the fat and solving all the world's problems. Let us know. Uh, just send me a message to the Facebook group or, uh, or to our Instagram account. And don't use the standby effect thinking someone else will, because um, then no one will. But um, yes, yeah, we like hearing from you. 
If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. Okay, we're back. And if you are a, a very curious and sticky beak type of person. A curious cat. A curious kitten. And you want to know how I invest and what I invest in, you can download the Glenn James personal financial plan. There'll be a link in the show notes. Are you on eToro with your- No. We can't copy you on eToro? No, no. no. So I pretty much detail exactly what I invest in and on what platform, on what stocks. You'll see there's portfolios there. Uh, I don't dick around with single stocks that much. Uh, so, yeah, you can support the show by um, buying that and actually being a sticky beak to see what I personally invest in. And I do have a financial advisor uh, because I believe in financial advice and if they stop me from putting my mitts on the money and selling down, it's <laughs> their fees have been paid for. They chop your hands off. They chop my hands off. Uh, there's a question here from Sarah Hart. How diversified should you be with your ETF investments? E.g., if you invest in VDHG, which is the Vanguard Diversified High Growth that covers a lot in itself, would it be wise to invest in other Vanguard ETFs uh, or just keep adding to that one? There's a, uh, I think, I'm not a Bible scholar, but uh, there's a verse in Ezekiel that talks about a wheel within a wheel. And I don't know why I went there, but Vanguard, VDHG- is a wheel within a wheel. So you invest in the Vanguard Diversified High Growth Fund and within that, it invests in underlying Vanguard ETFs effectively. Yep. So if you've concluded that that mix is the right mix for you and it is reasonably diversified, mm. then what would you add to it that- Isn't covered. That adds value. Um so the only reason you would do that is if you thought you really wanted a different mix. So Or something it, a little bit sexy. Yeah. So you might say, well, Vanguard is or the Vanguard growth is it's got part of its international exposure hedged. I might want more unhedged exposure. So I might go and buy some global fund as well. You might say, I should have a bit more in Asia. Therefore I might buy an Asian index on top of that. But this is starting to get pretty obscure and the value add is quite low, especially if you're talking about, you know, a $20,000 investment mm. where adding, so if you had 20000 in Vanguard and you were to add an extra 10% allocation to Asia, that's $2,000. It's not moving the needle. So it's not changing it materially. I mean, the interesting- You'd actually be better off mm. um, you know, focusing on adding an extra 2,000. Yeah. But it's, at that level, what matters is how much you put in and the discipline that creates more than where it goes. Yeah, and I think as well, like if you're an investor who uh, who is actually genuinely dialed in and turned on to all this stuff, there's probably two asset classes or two situations that I can think of where you wouldn't want index exposure. Can you pick one of them? Oh, well, private equity yeah. would be one because yeah. there actually isn't an index. Yeah. <laughs> and um, possibly some bonds. Um, yeah, but are we... 
So, depending on where you want and, to be. And we'll talk about bonds and as part of the diversified portfolio in a moment because I want to talk about Vanguard high growth versus mm-hmm. Vanguard growth. Mm-hmm. Well, the other ones was probably like a uh, a small Aussie small cap yep, fund. Yep, small cap generally and perhaps emerging markets. Yeah. And the reason why um, an index will just buy the index, but a small cap fund – in terms of Australian equity for any small cap fund, you really want to be able to pick and choose. We'll have the fund manager go, no, nah, this one's a banger. Yeah. That one's a dead duck. And there actually isn't a broad Australian small cap index. No, you've got to go offline, don't you? Yeah. So the uh, whatever the small cap index that the Vanguard small mm. index fund follows is actually the bottom 100 of the ASX 300. So it's not really that small. Mm. Emerging markets, another area where a manager can add a lot of value. Private equity, there is no index. Um, and, you know, the the saying uh, past performance is no indicator to indication of future performance, that's only not true for private equity because usually a lot of these uh, fund managers, they know a winner and they often get the offers before some of the smaller um, money funds. Yeah. But getting the transparency is the hard bit. Mm-hmm. Mm. Do you actually know what you're investing in? So yeah. that's not a game for, for beginners. Um, but that would be my take on it. You got Yeah, to- so I, I think, you know, if you do have that under 20 grand, sure, Vanguard diversified high growth. I don't know if you need to go shopping for anything else that's sexy. Uh, I mean, some BlackRock equivalents of the same, broadly yeah. the same thing. Yeah, and they're the iShares, everyone. Yeah, sorry. Um, so um, Google iShares. Yeah, I think it's called DHH. DHHF mm. or something. And I don't know if Beta Shares has a diversified fund. Is it is it really hard and technical to have? And I know people from Beta Shares probably listen to this, but like, I don't think there's a diversified fund. Actually, I'm going to have a look now. And I guess what I was getting at, Vince, for a fund manager, it's obviously more complex to have a diversified portfolio in different dollars. Yeah, I mean, just countries. the admin. Yeah, the cost of listing a fund in the first place, so you need to be able to make it to a reasonable size. You then have to manage all of the different underlying things, which means you probably have different custodians. You might have different managers. You've got different currencies. You've got different office hours. And, and that's why I think the, the, the vanguards and the Blackrocks do the diversified ETFs well because they've got national offices everywhere and they've been around for a million years. Yeah. And in the case of Vanguard, it's really just putting together five other funds that they're already running. Oh, actually, hang on. Beta shares do have a fund, uh, DHHF. Oh, sorry. I, I said that was BlackRock. It's, it's oh, Beta sorry. Shares. It's Beta shares. No. Okay. Okay. Well, all that crap that I said before is probably incorrect, but it looks like they've only got, okay, 36% Australia, 35% uh, United States. You know, it's 20% financials. Oh, actually, I'm probably a bit out of touch. It wasn't created till the 3rd of December 19. Okay, so that's quite recent. So it's quite recent. But the, but there are economies of scale of you know, just building it up from the building blocks you're already running. Mm. So that all you've got to yeah. do is then buy units in those other funds. Yeah. So it's easy. And to I mean, uh, beta shares do have some ethical funds. Yeah. Beta shares have got some good innovative stuff, but they yeah, tend to be a bit nichey. Yeah. So back to this whole bond thing that we talked about before, and we might, instead of using the word bond, we might use defensive 
So fixed income, bonds, you know. Government bond. Government bonds, corporate bonds. Just all bond, corporate bond. Yeah. So it's all that stuff that it's relatively low risk, but relatively low return. So the reason why you may have an allocation to a defensive part of your portfolio, and in my practice, Vince, I actually never ever recommended investments or super over 85% growth Mm -hmm. only because... So if someone's in 100% growth and the markets tank, you get... We know we get compounding returns, but you also get compounding negative returns. And it actually takes longer to return that loss so adding a portion of defensive assets is means that there's less downturn and it smooths out the return. It does. And a small allocation to defensive will often generate a higher return than 100% to growth. And when you look at the APRA results, if you, if you graph the returns of the 400 and however many super funds report to APRA every Mm. quarter, there's actually a dip above 85% that most 100% fund, the average 100% growth fund underperformed the average 90% fund. Mm. And that may seem a bit counterintuitive for when you say, well, why why if if shares return 10% on average and bonds return 3% on average, why doesn't my return go down when I add some some bonds. And the reason for that is that they are they behave slightly differently. So when shares go up, bonds often go down. Mm. And so that opposite behavior, which gives you can actually give you a greater return than 100 percent of one of or the other. The rationale for doing it is that you want to smooth out your return. So the goal is to take as much risk as you're comfortable with and offset it with the safest asset you can find, which mm. if you're in Australia, it's long-term Australian government bonds. So the point being that you you try and have as much allocated to growth as you need to get the return and as much allocated to defensive to let you sleep at night. Yes. And to keep your finger off the trigger. Yeah, so the Vanguard Diversified Growth Fund, I think it's an 80-20. It could be. And the high growth is 90. Um, yes, you do have to be careful with these labels. Mm. Um, so host plus balanced is- Oh, very balanced. 78.22, which is growth in Vanguard speak. Mm. So be very careful of those labels. They don't mean what they used to mean. And it's mostly, mean. it's mostly marketing. Mm. A balanced, balanced fund used to be 50-50. Um, the well, average yeah. balance fund- The balances. Is now 70 30, 30, yeah. So, uh, like, I'm looking here at uh, Yahoo Finance, and this is just available to everyone. You can go in, put the code in, and get a chart out. Interestingly enough, the Vanguard Diversified High Growth Fund, before the corona peak, uh, it was obviously higher than the growth fund, the high growth fund. We would expect it to be. It felt It fell deeper then uh, I'm just going to change this colour for you, Vince. I suspect that's the currency hedging. Yeah, well, it fell deeper, I would imagine. No, the high growth fell deeper 
because it was obviously a higher oh, yeah. allegation yep. of growth. Yep. But usually it would take a fair amount of time for it to, I guess, recover to the point of the growth fund, which is a less allocation to um, growth assets. But it only really took uh, till October and then the growth fund took off again. Mm -hmm. And we're probably talking, you know, bees, dicks or nipples Mm -hmm. or whatever they say, like a, a small portion but I think that was probably the um, the rise in U.S. tech stocks, given that the portfolio has such a high allocation to the U.S. Yes, it probably would do because almost all the growth in the S and P, well, that's U.S., but most of the growth in the MSCI recovery mm. was driven by the U.S. and by five stocks. Uh, let's get some more questions. What platforms and brokers can you use to buy ETFs, and what are the differences? That's from Holly Saunders. Well, I mean, I personally use SelfWealth uh, to buy my- You got a referral code? <laughs> yeah, probably do. Um, but I mean, I, I pay, I think, $9 a trade. And I only, I think one of the funds I hold on there, which I won't say because it it's in my proprietary document and I don't want to um, disadvantage people who have paid for that, but I don't hold that much. You know, I think I've got two small holdings in a direct share and an active fund. Uh, but I mean, you know, E-Trade, Comsec, yeah, I use I, I IG use Markets. I think is one. Yeah, I use E-Trade, but the, there's bugger all difference between the brokers. Really, yeah. I mean, you you do want to have ideally one where you have your own hin in chess. Um, so and- uh, actually, there was a question here. Uh, so the hin mm-hmm. is the, the holder, holder identification, identification number. number. We said that in such unison. Mm-hmm. We're on the one page. Yes. Now, the the HIN basically says um, Glenn James is an entity. We're going to put that same number on every share that Glenn James buys. Through that broker. That's right. So, that leads us to the next layer, which is the chess. Mm-hmm. Which is this clearinghouse the clearinghouse elec- electronic subsystem. Subs- subscriber system. And that is effectively the ledger that records who owns what. And if you go back to the 90s when it came in, like it's surprisingly recent, you used to get a piece of paper that says you own 20 shares of this company and the company would keep a list of those. The... Chess is the stock exchange's ledger that says Glenn James owns 20 shares in BHP. Regardless of the broker. Well, yes. Well, well, within Chess, every record in Chess has a a HIN, a holder identification number, or an SRN, which is a subscriber... I thought SRN was more for issuer-sponsored. Yeah, it is. But they're the two two entries in right. Chess. So Chess is the total holdings and yep. you can have an entry which is either your holding. Yes, no, no, no SRN security reference security number. Security reference number. Yeah. And we, so Glenn James can hold multiple parcels of BHP on different hints. So if you buy some through E-Trade. And then through. and Or you might have an E-Trade self-worth. account with a leveraged equities margin loan. That'll have a different hint because- Leveraged equities want to get their mitts on your. See, head. I thought you could only have one chess sponsor. No, 
Each you, each each hen relates to a specific chess sponsor. Okay, so I once moved from CBA, uh, Comsec to E-Trade. Yeah. So you could have moved the sponsorship on I your did, hen? I did. I said to E-Trade, I, uh, I said to Comsec, I don't want to – I want to transfer my chess sponsor over to E-Trade. Yeah. Or you could have then opened a new hen at E-Trade and had both hens. Yes. I mean, realistically, to the average bear on the street – it's it's not a big deal. But it, does, it doesn't really matter. It's just um, more of the back end administration. Yeah. But the where it does matter is whether you have your own hin or the shares are held on your broker's hin, and that that is the standard way in the rest of the world. In the US, they call it in street name. Mm-hmm. So your if you trade through TD Ameritrade, you'll have a sub-account on TD Ameritrade's custodial account. But does that? But that doesn't mean that you're not the beneficial owner. Correct. It means that the title. So when you when the company looks and says, "Who are my shareholders?" They will see TD Ameritrade holding millions of shares for all of their thousands of customers. So legally. So, so what it means from a legal perspective is... You want to own the shares. TD Ameritrade don't own the shares. Their name is on the register. Yeah. But you are entitled to all of the benefits. E- economic benefits of ownership. Like corporate actions and all yeah, that Yeah, all stuff. that sort of stuff. Yeah. The only difference is... Oh, so the practical difference is there are some obscure corporate insolvency issues, So, if, which means if TD Ameritrade went into insolvency... There may be a bit of admin to get your shares back. Mm. Ordinary, that isn't a problem, but there are some. There were some pretty high-profile Australian cases. Mm. Uh, if you want to Google BBY collapse, uh, BBY was a very high-profile. <laughs> I think it was originally it was Burdett, Buckeridge, and Young, mm. and it collapsed. And I think there were some allegations of malfeasance. So it took a long time for people to get their shares back. And that gets a bit complicated when people get into share lending and stuff, which we talked a bit about it mm. on the GameStop story. So as a unless I was getting something serious in return, I would want to have my own hin. Mm. Um, some of the newer players. And, and this is where I, I, I want my own hin. I want that direct connection. So if the chat ever hit the fan, you know, because I'm not reading all the fine for it. Yeah. Like... So if, if I'm buying shares or buying ETFs or buying managed funds, I really want to have, have them – well, so shares and ETFs, I really want to have them in my own name, on my own hand, or through my own wrap account, which we'll probably talk about later. Mm. But I would rather not have them in the name of my broker. And some of these new cheaper players are using structures like that. It mm. saves a heap of admin. Um, so – it's easy to see why, if you're trying to really cut costs, it's a good way of doing that. Um, but unless I was getting something material in return, and I don't think saving five bucks on a trade is material. No. So, but but remember that that only applies to shares and ETFs. If you buy a managed fund, um, or yeah, you know, the underlying shares aren't held in your name. Mm. Uh, so Vanguard owned the shares in your Vanguard High Growth Fund. Your name yes. is on the register owning that unit. Yes. Yeah. 
but, but that's a bed that I was willing to lay in. Absolutely. But it's the best bet I've got yeah. uh, because at the registry, Glenn James owns that bit. Yes. There's a question here, Tom Maddock. Thoughts on ETFs that are USA or USD domiciled? Explain the benefits and advantages. So, a popular fund that is listed on the ASX, uh, VTS, which is the Vanguard US Total Market Share Index. So, basically of the, what, 3,000 shares listed um, in the US or however many there is, I don't even yeah, know. I think it might be 5,000, but or, it's, it's a, a big number. A big chunk. You basically goes back to that uh, index. You own a portion of them weighted to the size against the other shares. That's right. And there's a few peculiar – VTS is a very interesting beast because it's not actually a fund. The, the thing that's quoted in Australia is what's called a CDI or Certificate of cert, – Certified Depository Interest, I think it stands mm. for. And that's really a piece of paper that says – you bought this thing on the Australian Stock Exchange, which represents that thing, the thing in the US. Yeah. So they move the same, ignoring the currency for a moment, but it's a it's a right to receive the benefits of a interest in the US fund. Mm. And there's a whole bunch of these things. So a lot of US companies. So I think News Corp might be one if it's still listed. James Hardy was one at one point. So they're not uncommon. Um, but, but the point being that that's actually an entitlement to a unit in a US fund, which is the Vanguard Total Market Fund, which if you've ever read any JL Collins, you will know as VTSAX in the US. And the problem there is you're buying into a fund that isn't Australian. Correct. So you've got a few things there. You've got currency, obviously. Yeah. You've got um, US tax. Yep. So you need to fill out this ridiculous w- form called a W8 Ben. Yeah, W8B or whatever it is. W8 Ben. W8, yeah, W-8 Ben. You've got to do that every three years. Um, Which basically just declares that I'm not earning any other income in America yeah. or something so like that. So it's effectively saying, I'm a foreigner. Yeah, give me my money. Uh, give me my, my money, money without holding tax. And then the third issue with VTS. Oh, and sorry, Vince, that's because- uh, you're not a US resident for tax. Correct. So they're saying take the money home so, so and ordi- pay the tax yeah. in Australia. So ordinarily, the U- a US fund manager would withhold tax on a distribution at 30%, but because Australian tax authorities swap information and stuff, you by filling out one of these forms, you get an exemption. And it also potentially takes you out some of the U.S. estate tax stuff. I mean, um, I prefer the iShares IVV, which is the S&P 500. Yeah, and let's right. be honest, there would not be much of movement between the whole share market no. and the top 500 shares. The number of times I've graphed this and there's like stuff all difference. Bees dick. But the, well, it's probably even smaller than that. Wow. Maybe, um, <laughs> I was about to be rude. But the other interesting thing about VTS is it is one of the 12 funds that owns Vanguard. So when you invest in VTS, you are also investing a tiny chunk of your money in Vanguard. Now, that's not enough to change the returns, really. But it does mean that you're liable to stump up with some money to fix problems at Vanguard. So Vanguard got fined. So Vanguard got fined a squillion billion. You could be up for 0.4% of your investment in 
VTS. Because you're a holder of the yep. main entity. There's a very obscure legal document called the Fifth Restated and Amendment Funds Management Agreement, which is disclosed in the US prospectus, but not in the Australian prospectus. And it means that you're exposed. Now, Vanguard's been around for 40 years. It's never been called, as far as I know, but it could. So why would I do it? I would do it if I was getting something material in return, like cheap management, mm. which was true. when Van- So when Vanguard came around in the 70s, it was by far the cheapest game in town. So that's a risk I would have taken in the 70s. But as you just pointed out, I can buy IVV for, I think, one basis point less. Yeah, it's like point... Oh, it's it's bugger all. Yeah. So that's not a trade-off that I would make by saying, am I prepared to take this tiny Vanguard risk that I'm not being paid for? Um, my take on that is no. I just like IVV better than VTS because it's one less bit of uh, paperwork, yep. I feel like, with the W uh, that's right. form. And, it's, and the SP 500 is a cheaper index to trade than the total market. So you will find that your... But if you look at the total market, the percentage of the top 500, yeah. it would be... It's 90 plus percent. Yeah. yeah. And the returns are very marginally different. So for my mind, my US holdings in IVV. Mm. I won't buy VTS. Yeah. I was happy to buy it 20 years ago when it was a third of the price. Mm. But now they're the same price. I'm not being rewarded for taking Vanguard risk, however small that might be. Mm. And, and, but that goes back to, you know... And so, by the way, that's the same as investing in a industry fund in Australia. Mm. That profit for members is just the flip side of risk for members because profit is payment for risk. So what am I getting for taking operating risk on House Plus or Aussie Super? Traditionally, you might have said, well, I'm getting cheaper fees, but that's not true anymore. Yeah. I, I mean, that's a story for another day, I guess. It is, and I, I just, I don't... You know, I don't blatantly get ripped off, but I'm not going VTS for the point dick of, of a percent. But it's actually more expensive. It's one point more expensive VTS. than IVV. Yeah, it's one point more expensive than IVV, isn't it? Oh, I thought it was the other way around. No, I'm almost sure IVV is a f- point cheaper. It's, it, it's irrelevant anyway. Yeah. Yeah. The time of day you choose to sell will make a bigger difference than the point. point well, I just don't want an extra form. Yeah, um, every three years. Yeah. And the additional structural issues of the CDI. Yes. James Rayner says, how to build a solid ETF strategy with so many out there in Australia and globally. Well. Isn't he a rock star? I don't know. That you can't understand. Mm. Oh, no, that's James Rayne. Yeah. I mean, what do you want to do? I mean, you might say, look, I want in my portfolio, I'm happy to have 100% allocation to growth. So you might go, you know what? I'm going to build my own portfolio and I'm going to do uh, 70% in IVV because I want access to America. Mm-hmm. And Vince, the thing I like about being a little bit heavy to the US market is a lot of the big companies in the States uh, that are listed in the States have businesses expanding in China and developing nations. So you can kind of get the the play to get into China and other, you know, of the brick companies or the... Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that argument about revenue diversification is often used to say, well, you know, if I invest in Australia, well, actually a big chunk of the revenue in companies on the excess comes from offshore. So aren't I getting offshore exposure? But revenue is only one aspect of why you're diversifying. Mm. You're diversifying for currency, you're diversifying for 
regulation you're diversifying for a whole bunch yeah. of reasons. Yeah, I, I don't know. But I, I guess just to finish up on that would be you might decide, look, you know, IVV, BlackRock, iShares yep. or whatever, they've got good good name, been around for a million years. I'll throw 70% of my money in that mm-hmm. and then I might throw 30% uh, percent in A200 or, you know, IOZ, I, what is the BlackRock one? IOZ. IOZ or I um, A200. Or A200, which is the or STW. BT, the beta shares mm-hmm. one. Um, and you might be comfortable with that, but it does mean you're going to have to manually rebalance or you'll get drift and you might wake up with 80% in international. And that's right. It's the rebalancing that gives you the benefit. It's not just having diversification. It's the rebalancing. So if you actually took a 90-10 fund and didn't rebalance, you won't actually get all of the benefits of going 90-10. So a 90-10 rebalanced annually mm. will outperform a 90-10 not rebalanced. Because what does rebalancing do? It forces you to, to sell, sell high, buy yeah. low. Yeah. yeah. So it's actually the rebalancing that mm. gives you most of the benefit. Yeah, and Andrew Connolly says ETFs that are tracking the ASX 200 are heavily weighted towards Aussie banks. Do you see this an issue with diversification? Uh, does large amounts of wealth slash increased population or popularity of ETFs distort over the value of the individual stocks in these indexes and what are the implications for market efficiencies? Okay, well, that argument that... Ind- oh my gosh, that's funny. Andrew Connolly, and he said... Um, Cheers. And he's Glenn's ex-Volvo owner's mate. So I bought my, my old Volvo. I bought from this dude. Your on iced the, Volvo? No, old Volvo. Oh, not your iced Volvo. I love a good iced Volvo though. I bought my old logo. I'm fried. <laughs> it's What's the time? It's 6.30 p.m. and I've done three recordings today and I'm at Vince's office. I bought my old Volvo from a dude at St. Ives and his friend is in the Facebook group. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so a couple of questions there. So I guess the big one is this furphy around um, if everyone indexed, we wouldn't get price discovery and that's bad. Um, We are nowhere near that. Um, Total indexed funds in the world are probably less than 30% and you don't need much to get price discovery. So I think that's a a bit of a non-issue. It's one of these things that active fund managers like to put around to ignore, to obscure the fact that they do underperform on average. Mm. So I wouldn't get too excited about that. Um, is, is indexing leading to a bubble? Um, because index funds indiscriminately buy... The index. The index. Um, I mean, we are seeing... I hesitate to use the word bubble, but we are seeing massive growth in asset prices across the board because of cheap money. Yeah, but that's a hunt for yield, yeah, which so. never ends well. But I, I guess to, you know, tracking the ASX 200 with a heavily weighted index towards banks, yeah. I don't know if it's an issue with diversification if you've got a portfolio that has a well-diversified asset allocation yeah. anyway. Yeah, but this is my point about- But also, if you're going to build your own VINs, if yeah. in doubt- you might want to buy an, an X top two, 20. Yeah. yeah. Or the Van Eyck equal weighted. Yes. Um, but, you know, the argument that, um, so this is the point I made earlier yeah. about there is no such thing as passive investing. Indexed investing is not a passive decision. It's a decision to buy the index. And, that and actively index, rebalance it. And that, 
index has characteristics. Mm. And in Australia, that means it's got a big exposure to financial services and it's got a big exposure to mining. Mm. But is that a bad thing? Um, well, if you form the view that I know more than the market does and your ego lets you get away with that, so I know more than the market does and therefore I think that banks are overpriced and therefore I don't want to invest in them, well, you shouldn't be investing in the ASIC 200. Yeah, but as well- I don't believe you can I, form that view. But Yeah, but I would also say I'm not making my investment views on things being a bit hot and coming off yeah. next June. Mm-hmm. I'm doing long-term play. Yeah. And we know over a long period of time, I'll do better than having my money in cash. So I don't read into it too much. Mm-hmm. You know, Peter Thornhill's book, you've heard of that yeah, guy? Yeah, Peter, yeah. You know, he's the spokesman of CBA shares. Mm-hmm. You know, that's not for me. I, I just, you know, because I don't do single stocks. Yeah. And I think that's because Peter Thornhill is even older than I am. And, and he, he likes his franking credit. <laughs> and he likes his franking credit. But he also remembers the bad old days in the mining sector. Yeah. Um, where lots of people did lose lots of money. Mm. Um, and this comes, you know, one of the big things that we talk about with our members is that we don't predict. There's no, we, we don't believe there's value in predicting what CBA is going to do tomorrow. Because anyone who tells you it's they irrelevant. can, yeah. well, A, it's irrelevant, and B, anyone who tells you that they do know is either lying or deluded. Mm. But what we can do is prepare, plan, and protect. And so you're going to prepare, well, what would I do if this eventuality did happen? Mm. Um, how can I prepare for that? So, yeah, spread my money around. And what can I do to protect it? Well, maybe there's some strategies you can- And see, this is the thing, like with these, um, you know, there's, and I've cited it before, there's a, a, a writing from UCLA Berkeley- uh, by some professors over there, and it's called "Trading is Hazardous to Your Wealth." And you know, it, it's a must-read for everybody. It's it's fascinating. It's, it's pretty hard to read, but it, it's it, it's complex. But it. the executive summary, just read that and look at the front page graph. I think if you are trying to get cute and be your own portfolio manager in terms of asset allocation and all that, you really want to track all your holdings on like share side or something like that. So in five years, you can run your own report and say, "What did I do?" in terms of return and at least compare it against VDHG or VDGR because, again, you you want to be an investor, not a portfolio manager because, you know, I don't know anything about asset allocation other than I like lots of assets allocated. <laughs> <laughs> Especially to you. Yeah, that's right. Would you like me to allocate some? Oh, there's a question here. I think it was from James again. He talked about... Yeah, let's say you have $2,000 in raise in 2000 in Spaceship. Is it more beneficial to have 100% solely in one just for the compounding interest? I mean, it's really all you're doing is diluting your asset allocation aggregately, if that's a word, I'm tired, across both of the portfolios. Yeah. I mean, the, the th- thinking that compound interest works differently if you put them in two separate accounts is just- No, that that doesn't work. I mean, someone didn't pay attention in year 10 maths. Um but the, 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 I mean, compounding comes from the fact that you put some money away or you choose not to spend some money. And whatever you do with the bit you don't spend, whether it's paying off debt, investing, buying a home, 
all of those will compound. The only difference is what the tax implications and what the rate is. Yeah, and the fees. And the fees. So um, whether you put half in rays and half in spaceship is – it changes your asset mix. Um, it, will, you, it, it will in generally crank up the risk because the spaceship portfolio is a riskier portfolio and will give you a different return. Is it a better return? Who knows? It's one more bit of paper for your yep. tax accountant. I, I just – I like things simple. I, You know, I love the investing groups on Facebook. Mm. I'm in them, you're in them. I love in that world. But I don't want 15 accounts. I don't want more paperwork. I don't like, but that's just me. And I would probably like I, my mind blows when you see some of the um, people online, and you know we show our like portfolio reveal, and I've got this and that and that and that. Just put it all on one platform. Mm. Like, and I get people want to you know try different things, but just consolidate. And particularly, you'll I get it. You know, you might be spreading your. I'll say the word corporate risk if, you know, you know, if Razor Spaceship went down, your money's safe because it'd be on trust, but you may be spreading may take a, a, while, may take a while. To yeah, get, you yeah. Might, might take a while to get your money out, but I don't think there's any, you know, or if even Vanguard went under, like there's really no worry about you getting your money back eventually. But that's why for me, it all comes back to, I, I've learned how to invest. I, I understand risk and reward. I'd rather pay brokerage. If, I'm a fan of the Vanguard personal investor because mm. if you just want to do Vanguard growth fund or Vanguard diversified high growth fund, there's no brokerage fee yep. for ETFs. And now that they've reduced the fees on the unlisted funds, if you're buying in small parcels or you want to invest regularly, mm. buying the, the unlisted funds is actually a better deal. Yeah, right. Um, even with the 0.2% Annual fee. Ad, admin fee. Because yeah. you just work out what, you know, if you're investing $2,000, mm. a $20 in and out trade is 1%. Yeah. So I, I'm a fan of having one hmm. and then not using a platform where possible, unless you want your little holiday kitty like Vince does. But yeah. Vince um, is an interesting I mean, one. our typical, you know, if you, if, if you were in a life short portfolio with less than a quarter of a million dollars, mm. Well, less than one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. There's, you know, probably only six components, yeah. and it's, you know, underlying that six components would be, I don't know, ten thousand stocks. Like, yeah. it's, it's, you can't really diversify more than that. Question from Catherine Allen: What's the deal with ETFs and your tax return? Yes. Now, this is this is interesting. So, broadly, you are taxed in the current year on your distribution. And your distribution will consist of dividends, interest, some franking credits, some foreign tax credits, maybe, and and most certainly foreign tax credits. Well, especially if you're buying VTS, yeah. <laughs> um, and all of those need to be included in your tax return. Some of that distribution might also represent a return of capital. So, if the distribution happens to be more than the Actual profit of the fund, or a CGT event? Yep, or CGT event. Uh, well, it's a, it's it reduces your cost base or increases your cost base yeah. depending on which way it is, which you need to take into account when you sell it. Mm. And keeping track of that is not trivial. But could there be, or is this more of a 
progression over to LICs, which we'll get to in a sec, uh, an internal CGT event within the fund. Yeah. So let's get back to how that distribution – So the distribution you get from a fund is a function of its underlying tax transactions. So it will make income from dividends it receives on its shares – it will make capital gains on shares that it's sold and it may also have some of the quirky things. But mm. broadly, that distribution will consist of the dividends they receive, the franking credits on those dividends, the foreign dividends and the foreign tax credits that go with those. And you'll get a statement from your provider. you get provider. a statement called an AMA statement, a attributed managed Blah, blah, blah. Blah, blah, blah. Um, And then it usually says, you know, put this number at label 13A on your Mm. tax return. So that's pretty good. Tracking the capital gains tax bits is a bit trickier. So that's the annual one. And then when you buy, when you sell, you will trigger a gain. And that gain is the difference between what you paid for it, Mm. including brokerage, the difference between that and what, what you sold for. it for. If net, you did have a sale event during that year. Yeah. So, so, if you so if you sell it. Carved off $1,000 out of your $10,000 portfolio, there would be a portion. And that, that upfront cost is adjusted by all these little distributions of things along the way. So they can be cents a, a unit. So if you look at your Vanguard distribution, for if you had VAS for last year, yeah, there will be a reduction in your cost base on that distribution because you got – more cash than they actually made profits. And if you hold your unit for more than 12 months, you get a um, you pay half get tax on half the gain. Yeah, so there could be in a weird way in the portfolio if there wasn't a a huge rebalance of one of the underlying stocks mm-hmm. for a long time for whatever yep. reason. There could be an internal capital gains tax event and then one on your own name. Yeah. So when Westfield left the ASX because it got ASX turned because it got reduced when it got taken over by Unibail, Westfield was a huge percentage of the property portfolio. REITs, uh, you know, the, um, what's it called? Oh, like VAEP, VAP, yeah. So because it was, I can't remember, 30% of the property index and it got reduced. So that would have triggered a huge capital gain because that had been in the index for forever. Mm. So it would have had the, held these for a very long time. So that would have triggered a big gain for most people. And that would have shown up in your distribution. Mm. And it gets a bit tricky when you start doing dividend reinvestment plans. So if you're in VAS and you reinvest, your, you've ticked the DRP box, you're going to get a few new units every quarter which dick around with your cost base. Yeah. So when you go to sell it, so let's assume you bought $1,000 10 years ago and you've been reinvesting every quarter, you now have 41 parcels and you've got, you're going to, if you don't sell your whole thing, you've got to work out, well, actually, which one of these 41 parcels did I just sell and what was they, what were they worth? That is a huge admin nightmare. So, so I generally don't like DRPs. Yeah. We used I mean, to do that. They used to be great because you used to get a discount. Yes. So the old NAB DRP used to give you like a 
0.5% discount. Yeah, no-brainer, free money. So that's free money and no brokerage. Whereas today, brokerage isn't a big deal. Mm. And but there's not a discount. There's no market. discount. Yeah. And you have no idea what the price is going to be on the day. And you have to deal with all the, the rounding differences. So w- when we talked about wrap platforms before, yeah. and it's probably for another yeah. discussion, um, the good thing about having a platform is with the capital gains events. So if you've got a, a model portfolio and uh, there's an asset allocation, we've got all these different things, the tax consequences can be managed yeah. so you can sell down stuff that was in there first. Yeah. So, so, so it makes it easy to make that decision. So when you, in my example, if you go to sell 500 of that collection of vast units that you collected, you can choose what units to Which sell? ones what you parcel? sell, yeah. and the system will track it for you. Yeah, they, they call it first in, well, you last do, out. You, do, you could do last in, first out. You yeah. can do first in, first out. You yeah. can do average. Yeah. You can do minimum gain. You can do maximum gain. But that's gain. really for one, like if someone's out there with, you know, 100 grand or 50 grand to want to go to town and build wealth for the future. Mm-hmm. This is why you need to see an advisor. Yeah. You need to get a good platform, be it your BT Panorama, mm-hmm. Macquarie Wrap, um, Hub24, Premium, premium Net Wealth, because- you want to be able to set up for the long term and if you need to sell down one day for whatever reason, you can manage the tax liability a lot cleaner. Yeah. And it is the only practical way to mix unlisted and listed funds. Mm. So if you do your asset allocation right, you will find that not all of the indexes you need have listed ETFs and for some of them you're going to have to like go. Like the Aussie small caps. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, yeah, that's right. So our... So on an Aussie small cap, if you want an active Aussie small cap manager, there is no listed fund. So mm. you need to go unlisted. And to get access to the wholesale low fee version, you need a platform. Becky Small, Smale, <laughs> how much would you aim to put into an ETF when you're starting out? So let's talk, you know, you're going straight to setting up an account with Comsec or E-Trade. I generally say two grand. Yeah, I wouldn't like to see my trade costs being more than half a percent of what I'm investing. Yeah, and to work that out, guys, like I'll just do it on the the calculator. So if you're paying nineteen ninety five, well, even nine point nine dollars nine nine dollars fifty, nine divided by two thousand, you know that gives you point four. Yeah. So so that's a good. It's under point five percent. Yeah. So. But then again, like if you're like, well, I just want Vanguard Diversified Growth Fund, uh, you can go over to Vanguard Personal Investor, which is a platform and I'll give you all the stuff. But you can pretty much go in with no brokerage, yep. but you pay the admin fee of 0.2%, which to me, whatever, it's nothing. Uh, and they'll do the consolidated reporting for you. Yep. And of course, there's far more unlisted funds mm. under the Vanguard umbrella than there are. And also, you know, this is one cool thing about the Vanguard Personal Investor you can actually buy direct Aussie shares as well on there. Oh, really? Yeah, it's a brokerage account, yeah. So, look, lots going on here. Um, there's a million questions and maybe we need to come back uh, and cover it off again because I'm hungry. Is the grill still at Neutral Bay? Yes, In it the is. back street? Yep. Do you want to go there after here? Yeah, we could do that. Is your car here? No, I walked. Oh, I'll give you a drive. It's 20 minutes walk to home from here. Yeah. I mean, we've had a big old chat and it's probably one of the longest podcasts I've done. LICs, let's just finish on listed investment companies. We touched it at the start. Effectively, you're buying shares into a company and that company 
will actively buy shares. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be act- no, but they active. They all, they all are. They'll, act- they'll actively select an index yes. to buy. <laughs> no, no, they all, all LICs listed in Australia are active managed funds. Right. But there's no science that says they have to be. It's just that's what happened. And they will pay you a dividend because they're a company and there are some tax quirks that they need to, to meet to allow a tax treatment that feels a bit like as if they were a trust. Mm. So the LIC, when it sells a share and realises a capital gain, it doesn't get the 50% discount. So it pays 30% on that gain, which is the company rate, and then it will pay you a franked dividend. So just trying to do some maths. Let's assume it makes a $100 gain. If you made a $100 gain, you would pay tax on 50, whereas the company will pay tax on 100. So it'll have $70. It will then give you a $70 dividend and $30 franking credit to get you back to 100, Mm. on which you would normally pay tax. If the LIC jumps through all these hoops, it will also then give you a thing called a LIC attributed gain, which you'll find on your statement, which puts you back in the same position as if you'd made the capital gain yourself. Um, There's been a few quirks where companies have failed to tick all these boxes. I think one of the Wilson funds during the GFC, not during the GFC, during last year, didn't quite tick all the boxes and couldn't do it. So it's just an added risk. The added risk of investing in LIC versus an ETF is you've got these premiums and discounts to real assets, which can go either way. So if if it's trading in a premium, it might cost you $105 to buy $100 of shares. Or if it traded a discount, you might get $100 a year for $95. Um, but these discounts and premiums do move from side to side, so it's an added volatility. And listed investment companies sometimes don't distribute all of their gain. They keep the cash back. To invest. To, which, A, allows them to invest more, uh, which somehow can help compounding, and it helps to smooth out the dividend. So you'll find that distributions from something like AFIG are smoother than distributions from VAS, even though in because they will uh, possibly yeah plump up the distribution with a bit of cash throughout the year, yeah, yeah, or hold some back in the good times. Mm. Personally, I would rather have the money in my pocket, and I'll make the decision. Thank you very much. Yeah, but it's a cute story. Yeah, I think we might finish on one question, and it's from Mark Fury. And I want to finish on this because it is so much talked about. I've heard a lot about VDHG. Would be interested to hear whether you think it really is a set and forget. Is it set and forget? Well, if your circumstances aren't going to change and the market's not going to change and the indexes investors in aren't going to change, then maybe it is. Um, It's certainly a low-maintenance investment. I think it's set and forget if you understand it and you want long-term exposure to effectively 50% US and 30% Australia or whatever it is, yeah. actually. I'm just kind of- I mean, that's a big if. So if you if that's what you want and your needs and desires aren't going to change and the indexes that it invests in don't change, mm. and these index fund managers change the indexes they track all the time. Yeah. It happens more frequently than you would think. 
And if you're happy to ignore all of that, then yes, you could set and forget. Yeah. Is, is doing it and setting and forgetting. Yeah, it's actually 36% Australian. Um, and it's got a, uh, but I guess the point I was making that, yeah, at a lot of points, it's the fact that you do put it away and keep your hands off it is yeah, a fair chunk of the battle. The extra return you get by um, shopping for fees, yeah, is pretty small. Mm. So if you're starting with a small amount of money, yeah, it's a great place to start. And in the investment world, longevity in terms of a fund manager, mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, and this is probably why I don't love some of these smaller. I mean, Razor's a listed company, but we'll go Spaceship or, I don't know, Stake or choose your next adventure, okay? Or the Cloud ETF or Hack. Yeah, but I know I'm, I'm more talking about these products. Like, I'd rather invest in VDHG and just pump that through my brokerage account than pump all my money into this product because we know a lot of on- entrepreneurs want to build a product and sell it to a big bank yeah. and cash And it. you would think- giving the product away for a big chunk of your audience would indicate that that might be the case. Because it's all about, you know, and I I honestly think this fee-free thing with Spaceship is a a marketing ploy to get mitts on people's super because someone who has $500 to invest and, you know, $2 every week might have 30 grand in super of funds that they can go after. So for me, is it a long-term set and forget well, it is more than a product because at least you're buying and owning the product and you're not investing into the product, if that makes sense. But if I was forced to say you can pick one thing to invest in- Forevermore, and amen. And not allowed to mm. change or rebalance. Ooh, that's a good question. Um, what are you going to go? For 20 years, you've got to be in one of these- Aussie super. <laughs> diversified <laughs> funds. Yeah. So that's a- a DHHF or a VDHG. Or- and I'm probably, the more I think about it, I'm going to do a bit of research. I mean, I probably won't change it, but I'm probably more of a fan of the Vanguard Diversified Growth Fund just while you're starting out, just to get a bit of smoother. As an alternative to the VDHG. Yeah. I mean, that's, I know we're probably splitting hairs, but. Vanguard, long-term track record, you can buy direct onto the ASX or you can use their platform and we'll probably never be sponsored by Vanguard. So there's no <laughs> point saying that, oh, they're getting paid by Vanguard because um, index fund managers don't have money for marketing. But I, I do get very nervous when I see these niche products um, where you get an index or you get a fund, either indexed or active, hmm. which focuses on a hot topic like hack or Mm. cloud you know it's a really tight concentrated theme which but why would you want to have all your money in one sector yeah but even if you're saying i'm going to put a little bit in yeah sure 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 these things tend to bloom when the market's hot and disappear when it's got so if you go back to 1999 there were hundreds of tech funds launched and come 2001 very few of them were left yeah. And you never really want to be in a position where you have to sell when the fund manager wants to get his money back. So I don't like those niches. In fact, there's a really good um, interview with um, Jack Bogle mm. where he talks about 
this very point. And he makes this joke about a um, an emerging cancer ETF. Um, I mean, Jack was never a fan of ETFs in the first place, mm. um, which seem may seem strange, but he was a fan of indexing, but not of ETFs. Yeah, well, I don't know. I don't know if we provided much value, but we had a chat. <laughs> I enjoyed just chatting. I enjoyed the marshmallows. Yeah, the fire is about to go out, and I need my grilled summer sunset. What's your go-to burger? Oh, I'm a simply simply, simply grilled. grilled. They're good. You just got to add cheese. Uh, with with cheese. Yeah, thank you. And a Pacific ale. Yeah, but what are some of the other uh, campfire chats we can have? Well, maybe our audience could tell us. Yeah, well, I'm actually thinking I want to do a campfire chat on asset allocation mm-hmm. in terms of risk profile. Yep. Uh, with super and... Because that is the key to investing. You know, everyone comes in and says, you know, what should I invest in? And they say, well, what are you trying to achieve? Mm. Which tells you what asset allocation you should have, which tells you what indexes you should choose, which tells you what products you should choose which tells you which platform you should choose. So you've got to start with asset allocation. And it's not, a, it's not about higher returns. It's it is actually returns. It's probably you first want to look at uh, tax structure <laughs> based on your goals and long-term and complex estate planning. So it's like, okay, I've paid off the house. The kids are now at school. We've got some legitimate surplus money in our life. We need to invest it. My first question is, when do you need it and what's the most tax effective way to invest it? So it's a wild ride. Mm. And if it was easy, everyone would have done it and everyone would well, be a winner. And yeah, and it is, not a winner. it is getting easier now with these apps, but I'm not doing, and I say wholesale investing in the, in the form of my own personal life. I'm not doing wholesale investing into a, a product that's been around for 20 minutes that they want to build up and sell to a big incumbent. Mm-hmm. And then you're in a legacy product that might not be taking new money and- I don't know. I'm just call me old fashioned Vince, mm-hmm. but I liked as much control as I can get. And transparency. And transparency. I mean the one thing that you should always pay up for in when it comes to choosing an investment product is transparency. But this whole Robin Hood thing to kind of finish where we started. Like zero transparency. Yeah. Like imagine if their marketing said, Oh, it's fee free trading, but you pay more for the shares through our platform. Mm. Like And we'll sell your data. Yeah. And the whole reason we're doing this is because, you know, we will sell all the trades to the people who are placing the trades so they know where the volume is every day. So they know before the trades get placed. In Australia, that's called front running and it's illegal. (sighs) Yeah. Well, it's freedom and democracy, Vince. The world's greatest democracy. Mm. Well, Vince Scully from Life Sherpa. There might not be anyone listening. This is the longest episode we've ever done. (laughs) Hello, anyone there? Uh, hello, hello. <laughs> um, but if you did listen all the way to the end, maybe put in the Facebook group as a post. Thanks for the long episode talking about shares and chat. <laughs> share uh, and share alike. All right, let's get some grilled. Do they have dessert at grilled? I don't know. I've never had dessert. No, I don't know. I do. I love dessert. Okay, bye. Cheers. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respect to their elders, past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options, or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. 
This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.